How do you want to start this? Well, I think we should start back in 2005. A 13-foot Burmese python in late September started to eat their last meal. That was a six-foot American alligator. This story was all over the news. And then on September 26th, a helicopter pilot, Michael Barron, found the two in the Everglades National Park. And so according to field notes of Skip Snow, a herptologist, the python was found with hindquarters of the alligator sticking outside of the midsection of the exploded python. Holy crap. Do you have any of those field notes? Yes. The stomach still surrounded the head, shoulders, and forelimbs of the alligator. When extracted from the snake, the alligator was largely intact except for two open wounds, one on the top of the skull, behind the eyes, and one on the shoulder. In both cases, dermal bone was missing, suggesting some kind of trauma. That was almost 20 years ago. And today we have upwards of tens of thousands of Burmese pythons in the Everglades. This sounded the alarm that indeed pythons are invasive and they are gaining ground in the Everglades. Welcome to Florida. Invasive species are the ones that just wreak havoc on our ecosystems. Annually, it costs Floridians over 500 million. And some are even adapting to our warming climate. Welcome to Unchecked. I'm Allison. And I'm Bree. So how did we get here with the pythons? It was introduced to Florida in the late 1970s. At least that's when it was first sighted through the exotic pet trade business as a result of both intentional and accidental releases, we believe. This is Mike Kirkland. He is the senior invasive animal biologist for the South Florida Water Management District and manager of the Python Elimination Program. In the mid-1990s into the 2000s, we started to notice a population explosion. They've established breeding populations in South Florida, and they have been devastating our native wildlife. So in Everglades National Park and the surrounding natural areas, we're seeing severe mammal declines, and they're also known to attack wading bird colonies. They are displacing our native predators like alligators and Florida panthers and large, larger pythons. You know, these can grow up to in excess of 20 feet long. The larger pythons can take much bigger prey items such as uh, deer and even alligators. And they are eating what our native predators would be eating. So they're not ever not only taking over habitat, but they are taking the food source away from our native predators. No, so in what Mike is talking about, I guess they're kind of like talking about that they're noticing that there's, you know, a problem going on and starting to realize this with the way that the ecosystem is evolving. But did they really realize like how drastically the numbers were exploding at this time? Because they were like skyrocketing. They didn't notice that they were totally exploding because they're kind of like uh, both Donna and Mike use the term cryptic, like a cryptic species. They didn't know how, if it were was the pythons that were completely like devastating the Everglades. And one of the interesting things that Donna pointed out was they only noticed it and was like, oh my gosh, this is a real problem. 
when those really large animals start getting taken down and the predators like the alligators, right? Because that is direct evidence that, you know, I'm not exploding or something like that. But the rest of the mammals that they eat, they just eat them. Everything. Not, she's like, nothing's left behind. Fur's gone. Bones are gone. Like there literally is no evidence of them consuming an animal. They just disappear from this ecosystem, even in their poop, because they poop in the water. So you can't like find the any any residuals in their feces. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild. I actually had not even thought about that, that they could consume something so much that you would literally like never know it was gone until you realize the population's going down in these other species. Yes. So if you once had a rabbit population and now you don't have a rabbit population, you might consider some pythons. Um, and she even pointed out, you know, there's like a lot of missing cats, you know, that's a, that might be a python. Yeah. I mean, I actually know that there's a lot of stray dogs in the Everglades area too. Maybe not like in, in the Everglades, but on the outskirts. And just recently, actually, there was a husky that got strangled by a python. One of the Nursery owners had witnessed it, let the husky kind of go without medical attention for days. Um, a rescue group that I actually had worked with went to pick her up and her and the puppies didn't make it because they were left for so long. What? Yeah, if like they get really large. I mean, the average is like from seven to like eight, maybe 10 feet on the higher end of the average spectrum. Um, but if they get large, they get like 14 feet, they'll eat a deer, they'll eat a husky. I feel like even some of the small ones could take down like a small dog. Yes. And they just unhinge their jaws and like consume their entire body. Okay, back to Mike. Did you ever have like a problem like recruiting people to, to kind of catch these and humanely euthanize them? No. So it's an interesting story. I was working on invasive exotic vegetation and not animals at the time in 2017 when our executive director at the time, Peter Antonacci, as a result of seeing a viral video of a python that was holding an alligator underwater and suffocating it. And our executive director saw that video and wanted us to take more aggressive action. Our, our your chief uh, asked around, and who's the snake guy of our group? And my supervisor said, well, I think Kirkland's interested in snakes. And I was brought into the conference room, given this idea to create a bounty program and uh, given about three months to develop and implement the program. It was started off as just a three month pilot study. So you just kind of got roped into this. <laughs> And it just fell in my lap. And though my supervisor was correct, I was interested in snakes. I don't think he knew the full extent of just how excited I was at the opportunity. I've been catching snakes myself since I was a kid. And uh, as I often say, it takes uh, an honorary python hunter to manage a group of them. You know, I've caught a 13 footer. I grabbed it and basically it pulled me right off the levee, busted my chin open on the way down, hit a rock, but did manage to hold on and, and bring him back up the levee. This is Donna Khalil. She's one of the python contractors for the South Florida Water Management District. I can catch a python up to about 14 feet. After that, I, I can definitely use help. And look, I, I, I like to take help at, uh, with a six-footer because um, it's easy to grab it and catch it and get it under control, but then putting it in a bag afterwards, it's always helpful to have, uh, to have someone there to open the bag up and 
put them in the bag. For the most part, uh, if you know what you're doing, yeah, you can catch a fairly large one on your own. And it's, it is a wrestling match though. So you do have to know how to handle them. And how many do you typically find in a night or how many do you bag in a night? It depends on what part of year it is. In the, in the winter months, I like to try to catch about one, one a week and uh, in the summer months, about four a week. And that's on average. I, I catch about a hundred plus a year. I'm out there Monday through Thursday nights and Monday through Friday days, depending on, you know, when I'm hunting day or night. Yep, this is a full-time job for me. Donna's a complete badass. She's out there five days a week with her unit called the Avengers. It's an ode to her father's World War II Navy South Florida pilot unit. It's that has the same name and she gets volunteers to help her. So only so many volunteers can help her a year. Um, and so they search the levees in her retrofitted Python perch expedition. Yes, she has a Python perch. I designed it and then had it built from uh, marine welders down here in South Miami and they basically do tuna towers for boats. So it's basically like a tuna tower but I'm not looking for tunas so it's a python perch <laughs> instead of a tuna tower. <laughs> Yeah, and so it, it's basically, I have a ladder that goes up the backside of my, uh, I've got a, a Ford Expedition. You climb up the, the ladder and you uh, you can have two people up there generally. And on this Python perch, I have several lights, 52 inch uh, lights on the both sides in the front, and then a few other um, lights also that are angled basically to try to light up the night as much as possible because you can't catch them if you can't see them. She's driving her expedition and then these volunteers, you know, are up on the perch and they're like essentially her spotters. And once, you know, they see something that they yell, but she goes on the levees because there are these man-made structures and the levees are essentially high ground, high ground and pythons need dry ground to build their nests. And so they go from like this breeding area to feeding, to breeding, to feeding. And so as these pythons are hunting, so is Donna. head towards the python in a very slow and methodical way to uh, try to sneak up on them um, because it's much easier catching a python when they're not on the move when they're when they're not moving quickly because they generally when they're hunting they're hunting rather slowly but if they see you coming then they're going to take off in a hurry kind of sneak up on them and, and get really close and grab them right behind the head and then uh, the fun starts because they, you know, depending on the size, they will they will fight you. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, that, uh, that gets to be the exciting part. <laughs> and their teeth, they have over a hundred, uh, four rows on top, two rows on the bottom. And their teeth are, they're, they're, they're basically facing backwards. So if they do grab you and hold on, which they generally don't, don't do, but if they do hold on, then uh, it's very hard to get them off. I always grab them by the head or right behind, right behind the head, and I don't grab them very hard. The harder you, you, the harder you grab, the harder they fight. So if you just kind of hold on and keep them down to the ground, they'll try to stay. They'll be a little calmer. Um, but once they realize they can't get away, what they do is, you know, they are a constrictor, so they will come wrap around your arms and your hands and. If you allow them to, and you shouldn't, um, it, they will get up and around your neck. They can feel your carotid arteries and they will apply pressure and you can pass out within a few seconds. So it's um, that was a mistake that I made after I caught about 100 and I was very confident in what I was doing. I allowed one 
to wrap around my neck because I had caught it in the water and I answered my phone because my daughter called and so I had it, it was only a seven, seven and a half footer and uh, it wrapped around my arm but as I was talking to my daughter it, it came up and around my neck mm -hmm. and I told my daughters like I've got to get off the phone now, uh, I, you know, I just caught a python and I was hanging up the phone and I'm trying to put the phone in my pocket, I couldn't get the phone in my pocket, I couldn't let the python go because it would bite me so um, it started squeezing and I'm a free diver so I can actually hold my breath for almost two minutes so I figured I was okay but I forgot that it's actually the pressure that they apply that can knock you out so I started getting lightheaded within 15-20 seconds and thankfully I was with a couple of guys that had gone back to the car to get the bag and the camera to take the pictures and whatnot so I had to kind of trudge through the water and knock on his back and say you know I couldn't say anything I was I couldn't, I couldn't breathe and, and just knocked on his back and, and he realized what happened he turned around and you know pulled it off of me before I passed out so I was very happy that that didn't uh, happen that would have been embarrassing um, and, and I learned my lesson I you know don't answer the phone while you're catching a python no matter what size it is so <laughs> that's an interesting choice of word I would say that would be terrifying no but, it would have uh, been embarrassing <laughs> it would have been very embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> I was out with I was out with someone uh, um, uh, that that I highly respect for the first time hunting with him. Uh, Joe Wazalusi is a, a highly respected uh, biologist and herp herpetologist, and so that would have yeah it would it would have not not been good. <laughs> no, not not at all. <laughs> I am a little competitive, uh, not with anybody in particular. I always say that there's two teams. There's the pythons and there's the python hunters. And we're all one team against uh, trying to get those those pythons out of there. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission's combined efforts removed like nearly 4,000 snakes in 2020. So over 6,000 snakes have been removed. That seems like a lot in general, but it also seems um, just in the in the tens of thousands that are out there, it just seems low of like looking at that Mount Everest. But again, it's, you know, it's about management. It just seems low. I'm not saying they're not, like the hunters aren't doing their job. So I'm just saying that it is, uh, that's, those are like, I think small numbers that are making huge dents. I mean, I guess also in my head, I'm like, is it making a huge dent at all? Or is it, just, you know, a way to make like us feel better as humans to be like, oh, we're trying to manage the invasives and trying to keep, you know, the populations and ecosystem, you know, intact because we feel bad for this thing that happened. And, you know, the pythons are out there now, so we need to do something. I don't know. I always kind of wonder, like, are there other ways or other things we could be doing or thinking about? Because we have, you know, the Florida Python Challenge, and it says that they caught maybe 220 three, I think, a couple years ago. And to me, these numbers are just so low in comparison to the grand scheme of things that it's it's hard to fathom like what would actually help and make a noticeable difference. One of the things that was super interesting, what Donna said, she was like, she, you know, it pulls at our heartstrings every time she um, has to um, euthanize one of these beautiful creatures is um, she's like, I'm killing one to save a thousand. And I'm like, man, Donna, that's that's a that's dramatic. Like that's a dramatic statement, and that's 
really powerful, but I'm like, is it a thousand? Like a thousand is like a lot. But looking at South Florida water management districts, like just, they have this graphic that it's like a sample diet for a Burmese python (laughs) that can grow up to like 13 feet in like five to seven years. And it's just like a sample diet for just one python. That is one raccoon, one possum, four five-feet alligators, five American coots, six little blue herons, eight ibises, 10 squirrels, 15 rabbits, 15 wrens, 30 cotton rats, 72 mice. That helps put things in perspective in a sense, because you could start to think and see how if you're killing the smaller numbers, that it is actually stopping population collapse, perhaps because of how many animals aren't being eaten by those animals. How long could the Everglades handle the influx of pythons eating that much? Like, I wonder if there are models somewhere that show, like, how long could the Everglades ecosystems handle this problem? You know, kind of like doomsday scenario. I wonder if a scientist has done, like, a doomsday clock for the Everglades. You know, if the pythons get to be this many and they're eating this much, then all of a sudden we have no Everglades. So that's a that's a wild scenario to think about and not terribly far-fetched looking at everything here. That sample menu puts some things into perspective. I love these things too. You know, they're, they are a fascinating, amazing creature. Um, they're beautiful and I can't look at them in the eyes because I know what I have to do. It, it just, it has to be done, you know, and, and it, it's one life instead of a thousand, you know. And it it doesn't ever get any easier, you know. You try to distance yourself from that part of it. It, It's one of those, I'm out there for, let me just say, five hours on average uh, a night, and it's five seconds of pure adrenaline rush when you actually see one, and it's about five minutes or so of of catching them, and then another 50 seconds of of having to euthanize them and, and deal with them after the fact. And try to compartmentalize those parts and, and keep that, that 50 seconds in, in, in a locked box in the dark because uh, it's not something that I like to, uh, to go over. <laughs> My friends and family often bring up the irony of the fact that I, that I love snakes so much and all wildlife that now I'm in charge of a program that has to euthanize these beautiful creatures. I have to steal myself every time it's my turn and remind myself of the big picture. And I won't work with anyone that feels differently. So it's the worst part of our job to have to put these animals down. Unfortunately, it's the only option. They are prohibited species in Florida now. They're illegal to keep as pets. They're illegal to transport. They can't be sent back to their native range in Southeast Asia because that could potentially introduce exotic parasites and pathogens into their native range and and hurt the native population. So humane euthanasia is literally our only option. We need to focus on preserving and protecting our native wildlife. And that's what we're all committed to doing. It's also crazy to think that there are these predators out there in the Everglades attempting to go after the pythons and still the numbers are skyrocketing. Bobcats were seen recently. I think it was captured on a trail camera with the bobcat eating the python eggs. So mm-hmm. even if these animals are eating the eggs and trying to fight back, it's just not enough. I wonder if like the bobcats are getting smarter and realizing that this is a viable food source 
And if we're going to see things like this play out in the coming years, where maybe the dynamics shift in favor of our native ecosystem and start to push out the pythons through, I guess it wouldn't be evolution necessarily, but like kind of the evolution of the bobcat's mindset in this way of like, oh, I could eat the eggs now. And maybe other animals will start doing this as well. And what's interesting, I was looking at the invasive curve. It's like prevention, eradication, and then management at the very tail end of that curve. And we're there. Like, we're not preventing this from happening. It's already happened. You know, we can't just, like, contain it. Oh, I think containment was one. We can't contain it anymore. We can't, like, eradicate the species. We don't have those sorts of of resources. So we're here just to maintain the Everglades. We're here to maintain all the restoration, all the conservation efforts. And, you know, we're getting some help with wildlife along the way. We will probably never be completely rid of pythons in South Florida. Our agency alone has spent billions with a B of dollars on Everglades restoration. We hail ourselves as a protector of the Everglades and we work closely with many interagency partners. We're all working together on this serious issue, but restoring the Everglades won't be complete as long as an invasive species like the Burmese python is here in appreciable numbers. So it's not just about restoring hydrology, but it's also restoring suitable habitat for our many native animals to thrive. That's that's kind of why I'm out there. I just love being out in the wild. I want it to be in balance, which it is not in right now. And we can't give up. We can't just say, okay, we caught enough and you know, that's it. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing thing. But I do believe that uh, we have made a, a positive difference in uh, some of the areas that we've that we've hunted already. It's going to take uh, a while to uh, to get it under control. We've only been out there five years and they've been out there 40. <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've, got, uh, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, from the Python's perspective, it's a very sad story because they're all out there just trying to live like any other animal and trying to do their thing. And they have no clue when they get picked up, why they're being picked up. And they don't realize that that's going to be their last moment. And they don't realize that they are an invasive species. That means nothing in their head. They're just out there doing their thing, living their life. And I think we frame them as the problem a lot without acknowledging the fact that it was humans that started the problem. And that's something I really want to emphasize is... It's not the Burmese python's fault that they're out there doing this. It's the humans. So what could your average citizen do to help this problem? One of the things that Mike emphasized was, first and foremost, don't abandon your pets. Don't put them into the wild. There is this amnesty program called I've Got One. It's so great, you know, they made it really easy. Um, There's an I've Got One app. You can call 1-888-I've-GOT-ONE and this program will take your exotic pet. In that mobile app, you can record your observations, you can take pictures of pythons, you can input data that the scientists are gonna use, the researchers are gonna use. People will go and, you know, help you catch that python um, if you don't wanna get it yourself. I think one of the biggest things is, maybe we could talk about this in the frog one, but is humanely killing them. Yep. If you call somebody in the in the wildlife sector, they're gonna go come and get a python because it's that's such a huge 
problem. Thanks for listening to Unchecked. Produced. Edited. Concepted. Reported on. Transcribed. Researched. Sound designed. By Allison. And Brie. We'll grow. <laughs> just, just keep listening.